Hello, hello, and welcome to Not So Secular, the place where we talk about how the world we live in is not as secular as we often think. We just choose to see it that way. My name is Mon Reyes, I'm a youth missionary here in the Philippines, and I will be your host here today. Today, I'd like to share with you about reading scripture. What are some helpful insights, some helpful perspectives to have as we open the Bible? I think it's very important for us to start with the right expectations because the thing about this book is that it's not easy to read. You might have experienced this yourself, but when I was young, I started reading it. I tried reading it. You know, that feeling when you're pumped up after a retreat or after watching Passion of the Christ or something like that? (laughs) That was what I experienced. I wanted to read the Bible, but I didn't even last a week. And being in a country where Catholicism, where Christianity is well known, it's easy for us to be familiar with these stories that are in the scriptures but not get to read them ourselves or be underwhelmed when we read them ourselves. How do we get more out of this book? Or better yet, how do we open ourselves better to what God wants to do in our hearts through this book? All that and more coming right up. Expectations. Are they good or are they bad? Some people say that expectations lead to disappointment. That's what we see, right? That's what we hear from people, that expectations lead to disappointment. Oftentimes, this is followed by something along the lines of, so if you want to be happy in life, then you should stop expecting anything. But it's kind of difficult. You know, you can't live life without expecting anything because there are just factors in life that you don't know anything about, that you have to rely on previous knowledge or rely on what you see, what you observe around you to set the right expectations as you enter into situations, as you enter into conversations with people. Expectations are important. Does it lead to disappointment? Yes, sometimes it leads to disappointment. But I think what leads more to disappointment are not really expectations because you can't just let go of expectations like that. What leads to disappointments more are assumptions. What are assumptions? Assumptions are expectations without good reason. And so when we assume something, even when we don't have good reason to believe that thing or to look forward to that thing, that is when we get disappointed oftentimes. What I'd like to do for today is to set the right expectations for when we read scriptures. I want to give you three tips. Now, I want to clarify that this is for beginners. This is for starters. That This is to help you get started in your reading. Or if you have already started in your reading, this is to help inform your reading further so that you can get more out of it or so that God can get more into you. <laughs> and uh, and this is helpful because we, and like I said, we enter into different situations and different positions and different conversations with expectations. And it's important for us to have the right expectations when we enter into reading the Bible. This is kind of a follow-up to what we talked about last episode when we talked about prayer, when we talked about developing your daily devotion, which is very, very important. And if you'd like to do that by spending more time in Scripture, I think that's really, really great. And so I'd like to help you out by offering some insights, by offering some perspectives on how to do that well. Because the thing about the Bible is that it's not an easy book to read. It's not every day that you read something that's 2,000, 3,000 years old. 
In fact, when you read something that's that's a bit old, like for example, when you read something like Florante at Laura, or when you read something like Ibong Adarna, these, these must have been your assigned reading also when you were in high school, diba? Um, it, it's not easy to digest what is being said. It's not easy to appreciate what is being said, especially if it sounds so outdated, or especially if it if it uses words that I no longer understand. Diba? And the Bible can sometimes seem like that, that it makes use of certain images that maybe we can't connect with or the way it's been written is not the same as how a modern storyteller would tell their stories. And so it's important for us to to set ourselves in the right position so that we are able to we're able to read it better. And that is what I'd like to do for you today. Again, I want to share with you three insights, three things to consider when you're reading scripture. And this is to help you in your own personal reading because that is something that I'd like to encourage that you do as well. So let's begin. The first thing to consider is the literary genre. Literary genre. What is the first thing that comes into your mind when, you, when we talk about genres? Do you think of Netflix? Do you think of these streaming services, you know, with the movies categorized into different genres? You have horror, you have suspense, thriller, you have action, you have comedy, and even that is categorized into different types also. You have documentaries, and you have movies, and you have series, and the Bible is a bit like that. Because our idea of the Bible is this big, thick book right? But it's not just one book. It is also a collection of many different books within it. The Bible is a collection of 73 books, sub-books. That's how our modern Bible is categorized right now. And so it would be helpful for us to see it as what it is, that it is a library. Different books written by different people during different times, guided by the one Holy Spirit. And that is why it's cohesive. So, Try to imagine, okay, to help us to help us appreciate this better. Try to imagine yourself walking into a bookstore. What do you see? You see school supplies. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> the thing about you know libraries, uh, libraries, bookstores in the Philippines is that they have more school supplies than they have books. But imagine walking into a proper bookstore, right? Walk into a proper bookstore and you find books everywhere. What do you notice about the books? What do you notice about the ordering of the books? you find that there are different categories for different kinds of books. There is a fiction section and a non-fiction section. Within the fiction section, you find subcategories. There's sci-fi, there's fantasy, there are young adult novels, there are children's books. Within the non-fiction section, you also find subcategories. There are biographies, there are cookbooks. There are instruction manuals, there are reference books, there are encyclopedias and magazines and dictionaries. So there are different genres, there are different categories and subcategories within the bookstore to help you navigate your way through the books. Why is this important? This is important because we read different books in different ways. You wouldn't read a fiction book in the same way that you would read a nonfiction book. You wouldn't read 
Harry Potter, okay, the Harry Potter series, in the same way that you would read the biography of Steve Jobs, it would not make sense. You wouldn't read something like true Philippine ghost stories in the same way that you would read a cookbook. Hopefully not, for your own sake, because these are two different kinds of books, right? There, there, there's, a, there's a category for one and a category for the other. And even within the two major categories, which is fiction and nonfiction, there are subcategories that we need to consider. Reading uh, reading a instruction manual is not the same as reading a dictionary. So we need to consider these things as we approach these books. Now, of course, when we approach these books in our modern setting, gets na natin yan eh. We already understand it, that these are different books and so we should set different expectations. But when we approach the scriptures, when we approach the Bible, we don't always see that or we don't always we don't always consider that. And so we should. We should consider the literary genre. Where does this fit in? What is the author trying to tell me, the reader, or the original audience of that book at the time? We'll get more into that later. And aside from what is being said, it's important to consider how it's being said. For the sake of simplicity, we have three categories to the different literary styles used in the Bible. I'm following the example of Bible Project. This is how they categorized their their literary genres, scriptural literary genres in their videos called How to Read the Bible. They have a series of videos called How to Read the Bible available on YouTube um, for free, so you could access it. I'll link in the description because that's a very helpful, that's a very helpful resource. But I'm following, I'm following the categories that they have set. And the categories that they have set are narrative, poetry, and discourse. Narrative is a story. A story has characters, has a setting, has a plot. It follows, it follows the journey, the tale of one person or a group of people. And it, it has a certain flow of events that is designed thematically or is, is designed in a certain way. So that's a narrative. A narrative is a story. The second category is poetry. Poetry is more stylistic. In a sense, poetry has certain limits. It has a beat to it. It has tempo. Uh, a poet poetry delivers a message differently than it would be delivered in a story form or in an essay form. Poetry often focuses more on on not just what is depicted, but how it is depicted. And in the way that it does that, it actually brings out a better sense of beauty, a better sense of appreciation. It's able to communicate something something that connects to people better. And I think this is part of the reason why songs, why music is able to speak something that mere sentences cannot. Because, you know, music or song lyrics is kind of like poetry as well. So poetry, this is the second category. The third category is discourse. And discourse is kind of like an essay. It's a presentation. It's one thought following another, leading up to conclusions. And that is how we often see things. That is how we read, for example, news articles, or not just news articles, but different sorts of articles that we find online. It's one thought leading to another. It's systematic often. And it has uh, it has a specific thought or message or teaching that it wants to convey in often a very direct way. So we have narrative, we have poetry, and we have discourse. Like I said, uh, Bible Project does a good job of explaining these things, and I would reference them in the description so that you could study them further, learn about them further. Now here's the thing. 
I mentioned that I'm following I'm following the categorization of Bible projects. And so what they did is they made this, they made these percentages of how much narrative is in the Bible, how much poetry is in the Bible, and how much discourse is in the Bible. So what I did is I I took what they did there, okay, and then I worked from there. I also considered what the Deuteronomy canon or how the Deuteronomy canon would fit in. I, we mentioned this last time that there are some books that are found in the Catholic Bible but are not found in the Protestant Bible, like Tobit and Judith and Baruch and Sirach and all these sorts of books. So what I did is I considered these books. Okay, I categorized them also so to to help the percentages become more accurate when we're talking about Catholic Bibles and. We arrived, or I arrived, with these percentages. And if you were to look at the Bible, okay, a Catholic Bible, 42% of it is narrative. Nearly half of the Bible is story. Okay, let that sink in. What are the implications of that? What are the implications of that in how we read this text? Second category is poetry. Poetry makes up 35% of scripture nearly, or well, not nearly, past one-third. Could you imagine that? How many poems do you read in a day? It's, this is, these are important things to consider because if, if the Bible is made up one-third, of one-third of the Bible is made up of poetry, then it's important for us to, to, to learn how to appreciate reading poetry because that's something that I don't think we encounter a lot these days. And then the last one, discourse, is only 23%. Less than one-fourth of scripture is discourse. But notice how oftentimes when we refer to the Bible, we're often using it as a reference for discourse. We're using it as proof text for something that we want to talk about. Oh, what does the Bible say about this topic or this theme? Let's look. And then it says in verse this or chapter that, that this is what it says. Now, I'm not saying that that's wrong, okay? There can be good reasons and good ways to do that. But what I'm saying is that it's important for us to consider what kind of text we're reading so that we could do that better also. And so that we could allow the text to speak to us in the way that the authors, in the way that the Holy Spirit intended and not take these words and take it to mean something else. It's important for us to look at the literary genres in scripture and appreciate them as they are written. Examples of narrative are the gospels, the story of Jesus and told by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, examples of poetry would be the Psalms, would be some of the wisdom literature like Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. A good example of discourse would be the letters in the New Testament. Letters written by Paul, written by Peter, written by James. These are very good examples of, of discourse. And so it's important for us to understand these things. And there are a lot of guides that are helpful in learning about these. Some Bibles actually have a bit of commentary, a bit of, a bit of insights, some footnotes here and there that help us understand it better. My first study Bible that I bought is called the New American Bible Revised Edition. It's a very good Bible. It has an intro for every book of the Bible, and then it has helpful footnotes to help you navigate through the text. And so it's helpful for if you have a Bible like that, if you could get a Bible like that, it's helpful because it helps you understand what you are reading better. So that's the first thing that we need to consider. We need to consider the literary genre. The second thing that we need to consider when we're reading scripture is the culture and history of the time. 
one of my professors and masters when I was taking religious studies, he would say all the time, always read the text in context. Always read the text in context. The thing about the Bible is that it's an ancient book, okay? I mentioned that it was written 2,000 to 3,000 years ago, but that was when it was written. It, it, it dates back further if you think about the oral tradition that was formed because in ancient times, not everything was written. It's not as easy as printing something out or typing it on your laptop. They didn't have those yet. During that time, the way stories are told and the way messages and teachings are passed down from one generation to another is through something that is called oral tradition. It is said in story form. And that's the thing. When you're passing one story to from one generation to another, from one person to another, it becomes more refined. Only oftentimes, huh, it's, it's only the most important details that are kept. And when the, the authors were trying to lay this out in written form, they also used their creativity, their artistry in, in laying down these stories that a lot of people have known for a very long time and designing them in such a way that reflects their experience, that reflects what, what God is trying to communicate through these texts. It's important for us to understand the culture and the history that comes with what we are reading. When we open the text, we are stepping into a new world. Again, this is about setting proper expectations. This is one way that I've heard this put. Okay, so try imagine going to Japan, going to another country. When you go to Japan, okay, a lot of Japanese people don't know how to speak English. And so you have to adjust. Okay, you have to learn a little bit of Nihongo. Of course, you can manage if you don't completely know how to speak English. There are some Japanese people who are able to do that, able to guide you there, but it's helpful to learn a bit of the culture for yourself if you're entering into their country. It's helpful to understand what it's like there. What are the customs there? What are the things that I, I'm supposed to know? What are the things that might be considered respectful, disrespectful, if I do this, if I do that, because it might not be the same. And part of the experience of going to another country is trying out what is there, experiencing their culture. It wouldn't be appropriate, or well, you could do it, but you, there is an inappropriate way of doing it. If you go to Japan, okay, travel all the way to this new country, this different culture, and then the first thing that you ask is you, you speak in Filipino or you speak in English, you demand that people speak the same language that you're speaking, even though they're not able to speak that, and then you ask for the nearest Jollibee, you ask for the nearest McDonald's. That's just rude, okay? You have to enter into this new world, this new culture and appreciate it as it is. Let them tell their story in their own terms. When we're reading the Bible, we are reading the story of the ancient Jews. We are reading the story of something that ultimately leads to Jesus, of course, the early Christians also. But when we're reading it, we are trying to connect with a different culture, with a different with a different history, a different body of people. And we need to understand where they're coming from if we want to appreciate better what it is that they're trying to say. Let's not impose our modern slash postmodern values, modern slash postmodern ideas and perspectives into these texts because they're not modern people. And when we do that, we tend to miss out on the richness of their tradition. We tend to miss out on the richness of their culture, on the richness of the message that is being laid out within the context of that setting, within the context of that 
culture, it's important for us to understand further than what we just see. Do not prejudge. That's what prejudice is all about. It's prejudging something. And so it's important for us to enter into this world in the same way that we would enter into the world of the DC universe or the Marvel universe or Narnia or Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter for that matter. When we allow ourselves to understand the lore, allow ourselves to understand the characters within that context, what is happening during that time. There are resources that are helpful for for these kinds of study for these kinds of insights as we're reading again bibles with footnotes are very helpful for that this is a good practice that i'd like to share with you if there's a verse a particular verse that you don't understand okay a good practice would be to read a little before and a little after so that you see where it fits in don't take the text out of context okay some examples some examples of this would be the roman centurion the Roman centurion who approaches Jesus asking for his servant to be healed. He is where we get the line, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant shall be healed. He is where we get that line that we say before receiving communion. This Roman centurion okay, approaches Jesus asking for help. And Jesus, what does Jesus do? Okay, Jesus agrees, so he's willing to help this Roman centurion, this Roman soldier, but the Roman centurion says, but no, you don't have to come with me anymore because this soldier is under my authority and um, accepting Jesus' authority, only say the word and he shall be healed. Okay, Say the word to me and he shall be healed. The Roman soldier here was acknowledging something about who Jesus is through the lens of his authority to his soldier. He was a leader. And he was recognizing his authority to his soldier, to his man. And in the process of doing that, he is acknowledging that it is Jesus who has the higher authority. And so Jesus honors the faith of this Roman centurion. And he says something crazy about it. He says that this, this faith is something that I haven't seen in these lands. He says in Matthew chapter 8, verse 10, Amen, I say to you, in no one in Israel have I found such faith. Now, it's easy to just gloss by that passage, to gloss by that verse, thinking, oh, okay, that's a nice story. The guy gets healed. Who doesn't <laughs> in Scripture? <laughs> and, uh, but that's the thing, you know, if we understand the culture of that time, remember, these were Jewish people living in Roman occupation. The Roman centurion was considered an enemy of the Jews. They were the foreign rulers in their lands. They were the foreign occupants who were there and they wanted them out. And this wasn't just, this was no ordinary Roman citizen. He was a soldier and he was no ordinary soldier. He was a leader of soldiers. He was a centurion. And so he represents the enemy for a lot of these people. And Jesus, during this time in Matthew, has just finished preaching and teaching the Sermon on the Mount. And what, part of what Jesus teaches in the, in the Sermon on the Mount is about loving your enemies and praying for them. So... In essence, what Jesus is doing with the Roman centurion is that he is living out what he had just taught. And it sounds easier. A lot of things are easier said than done, but Jesus did it. Jesus honored the faith of this man, this Roman centurion, who was considered supposedly to become their enemies. The, the bigger context that is happening here is that Jesus is fulfilling the role of the Messiah and previous messianic figures that they have had are soldiers. They are kind of like the Roman centurion, but for the Jews. They are soldiers who defeated their enemies. They're, one of the most recent examples during that time is someone named Judas Maccabeus. 
And he was someone who revolted against the Greeks, against the Seleucids, the, the people of their time, their foreign rulers during that time. And so the expectation of the Jews, as so they were waiting for the new Messiah, the one who will fulfill all that is meant to be fulfilled, is someone like that, a military leader. But the way Jesus fulfills it, okay, this adds a layer of meaning into what we read. The way Jesus fulfills it is not by defeating their enemies, but by allowing them to change their hearts, but by leading them, showing them mercy, showing them love. And this is not the sappy kind of sentimental love that we're talking about here. What Jesus is showing them is that this kind of love for your enemies is what will change the world. This kind of love that Jesus offers. And Jesus, this is something that Jesus ultimately fulfills when he becomes crucified on the cross as he dies for his enemies. You see how reading the text in context brings more richness into this one passage, into this one story. And so it's important for us to understand these things. It's important for us to appreciate these things so that we don't also misinterpret some of the things that is said by Scripture, such as in Ephesians, when it talks about wives submitting to their husbands. A modern reader could easily come to the conclusion that, oh, see, see that? This is where the patriarchy comes in. The Bible is against women. Wives, submit to your husband? What kind of backward thinking is that? But if you just take that verse in itself, it does read that way. But if you read the text in context, then you will see the fullness of what is being taught. Because yes, it says, wives, submit to your husbands. But a little before that, it says husbands and wives should, should submit to one another. And then a little after that, it says that husbands are to love their wives. How? As Christ loved his church. How does Christ love his church? Christ died for the church. And so this is not just blind submission for the sake of submission. This is not about power. Yes, wives, submit to your husbands. But the call to husbands is, husbands, you should love your wife to the extent that you are willing to die for her. To the extent that you're willing to give up your life, to make sacrifices. This is not about a power trip. This is not about the patriarchy. In fact, what is being said here within the context of their time is just revolutionary. This understanding that husbands, they have this series of a commitment to their wives and that they should honor their wives. Always read the text in context so that we don't misunderstand these things. That's very important. So that's the second thing to consider. The last thing that I'd like to share with you in this episode, the third thing that we need to consider is the bigger story. So I started this off by saying that the Bible is like a library, that the Bible is like a bookstore. It has these different sorts of works, different books within it, written by different people. But this is no ordinary library. The Bible is collected for a purpose and what the different books of the bible it's kind of like it's kind of like a cinematic universe so try to imagine the cinematic universes that we have right now like mcu or um dc well they're trying <laughs> and uh, or star wars i think that's a good example the star wars franchise so far we have nine star wars movies that are part of the skywalker canon i don't know what that's called and we have other movies like solo and rogue one and the like so there are plenty of movies, Star Wars movies, not to mention there are different series related to Star Wars also. So it's becoming this huge collection of, of different works 
different kinds of works that build up this larger narrative. It's important for us to understand the smaller stories that are part of that, watching episode 4, A New Hope, watching episode 6, watching episode 1, The Phantom Menace, all of these different stories. It's important to, to appreciate the different parts of it as itself, but for us to understand and to appreciate it better, we need to understand the bigger story that is being told throughout Star Wars, not just the small part of it. So try to imagine this. If there are 11 Star Wars movies and each movie is about two hours, that is plenty of time, okay? Plenty of runtime for the movie to tell its story. So try to imagine taking 10 minutes, okay? Taking 10 minutes of Rogue One and judging the entire Star Wars franchise based on that 10 minutes that you have watched. Would that be reasonable? Or try to take 10 minutes. So again, let, let's not take Rogue One because Rogue One is kind of a side movie. Let's take the third movie. The third movie where, where Anakin betrays everyone, where he, where he falls into the dark side. Okay, Take 10 minutes of Anakin betraying everyone, killing the younglings and all of that, and try to judge the entire movie based off of that 10 minutes. Would it be reasonable? Oh, so this is what Star Wars is all about. It's all about betrayal and killing kids. No, it's not. That's not what it's all about. Because what you're doing is you're taking one small part of the bigger thing and judging the entire thing based on that one small part. When we're reading the Bible, it's a temptation for us to do the same. To just take one small part and then judge the entire thing by that one small part. Or to try to take, kung nga, judge the entire thing. We could, we could just take these small things and treat it as if they're separate entities. Watch episode one of Star Wars and treat it as something different from episode two, as something different from episode three. But that's the thing. If we don't have the bigger story in mind, it's it's difficult to navigate our way through it. And there are parts that, we'll just, that we won't understand, that we won't appreciate, Easter eggs that we will miss if we don't take into consideration the bigger story. In scripture, there is a larger narrative being woven and its culmination, its climax. We find it in Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of the entire story. And so it's important for us to understand that, that bigger context. So what does this mean? Does this mean that I have to read the entire thing before I get something out of it? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Okay, as long as you get the main thing. Although I would encourage you to read the entire thing. But as long as you get the main thing, which is what we often talk about in church and what we often talk about when, when we're gathering together, the gospel, that is the main thing, what Jesus has done. And so all of these other parts helps bring light into what Jesus has done and helps us appreciate it better and helps us understand it better and helps us live it out better because of what Jesus has done. For example, when we go to the book of Judges, Judges is in the Old Testament. That is where you find the story of people like Gideon who tested God and uh, he would try to ask for signs to prove that it is God who is really calling him. Here is where you find the story of Samson, who had long hair, superhuman strength and all of that, okay? And we find the story of Deborah and all of the other judges. That's what they were called. That's why the book is called Judges. They were not kings. They were not rulers. They were... 
they were the people who stepped up because there were no rulers. And if you were to read Judges, man, it's it's a difficult read because a lot of crazy things happen there, a lot of violent things and a lot of things that are rated SPG, let's just put it at that, happen in the book of Judges. But as you can see, if you read toward the end of Judges, there is a line that is repeated in, in chapter 19, verse 1, it says, In those days when there was no king in Israel. This is repeated again in the very last chapter. In the very last verse of the very last chapter, chapter 21, 25, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own sight. These repetitions are very important things to pay attention to. Maybe we could talk about that more as we go forward. But that is what the author's way or one way for the authors to emphasize something is by repeating a certain phrase or a certain word in a certain way or a certain theme. Okay, repetition is very important. And what is happening in Judges, okay, with all of this violence and in all of this, all of this chaos that is happening, it is because they were looking for a king. It was in anticipation for the king. And what happens after? What happens after is, well, we get introduced to Samuel. They get introduced to a bad king named Saul. And what happens after? After the bad king comes in, we get introduced to a more proper king, a more virtuous king named David. A lot of things that happened in Judges happened because they had no king. And it was shown what would happen if they had a bad king. It was shown what would happen if they had a good king. But at the end of it, David himself still wasn't the perfect king. He still wasn't the right king for Israel. And so this anticipation for a king builds up further until later on we reach Jesus, who is the king, who is meant to fulfill the need that was raised in Judges, who is meant to fulfill the lack that David experienced because of his sin, who is meant to fulfill something that Saul could not because Saul, well, he just wasn't right for the job. Jesus is the fulfillment of the king that Israel has always needed. See how the narrative thread pulls together? You don't, you don't just take these stories individually. Try to find the link in all of these stories that connects them to each other, the themes that connect them to each other. The same thing happens, for example, in Deuteronomy with Moses. Moses, who is Moses? Moses is the prophet who was sent by God to rescue Israel, to redeem Israel from slavery. But at the end of it, Moses was unable to enter the promised land because he himself was not worthy. And so what happens after that? In Deuteronomy, Moses talks about the prophet who is to come. He will come and you will listen to him. That's what he tells the Israelites. The prophet who is to come. Just like the king who is to come. And when Matthew, the Gospels, introduced Jesus, he is introduced as a new Moses. There are a lot of parallels that we see in the story of Jesus and in the story of Moses, such as the both of them being the only survivor of a massacre of babies. That happened in the time of Pharaoh. That happened in the time of Herod. They were the only, only survivor of both of these massacres. They both found their way into Egypt. Moses came from Egypt and Jesus, carried by Joseph and Mary as a baby, was brought into Egypt so that he could be saved from Herod. We find all these sorts of parallels between the life of Jesus and the life of Moses and that is intentional because the authors are trying to communicate to us that Jesus is the new Moses. He's meant to be the new Moses, the perfect Moses. If Moses was someone who freed the Israelites from slavery, Jesus 
is someone who is meant to free the world, not just from slavery in Egypt, but from the slavery of sin. You see the fulfillment of the story of Moses in Jesus. There is a bigger narrative, a bigger story being told, and it helps if we are able to see how that story is being told as we read Scripture so that we don't misunderstand, so that we don't set the wrong expectations. And this is something that is meant to be read, meant to be studied, meant to be learned in a lifetime. So I'd like to end with this. Maybe with all of these things that I'm talking about, maybe it seems more confusing or more complicated than it seems. Can't I just read one passage and get something out of it? Of course you can. Of course you can. And I encourage that. But the thing about the scriptures is that it's a bottomless well. And that the more you dig into it, the more you try to get out of it, the more there is to get, the more there is to dig. And that's the beautiful thing about the scriptures. It never runs out of richness. And so my encouragement for you as we end is to build the habit if you haven't yet. Take some time, best in the morning in my experience, but if not, you can determine a specific time of the day when you can read the Bible, read five minutes, 10 minutes, try to study about it a little bit more. We have the internet now. There are a lot of resources online that you could check. If you can, do it with other people, connect with a small group, or try to connect with a Bible study if you could join one. If you have one in your parish, consult them. They're, they might have programs for these sorts of things. The, things about, the thing about these parish programs is that they often organize them, but no one goes, <laughs> or at least not enough people go. You could be one of those people who could go and learn about these things if you want to draw more from the scriptures. If you have a feast near you, I'm connected to the feast, you could you could join there as well. That would be a good a good avenue to learn more about these things also. Some helpful resources before you wrap up. I mentioned already Bible Project and the work of Tim Mackey. I'll be I'll be linking to some of those in the description, but you could look that up. These are they, they do a good job of explaining some of the themes of scripture and the overarching themes that we find from the beginning all the way to the end of scripture. They also have a podcast and that's very, very helpful. In the Catholic world, we have Jeff Cavins, who is who who came up with the Bible timeline to help you read the Bible in the proper order and he kind of gives you a better um, a better explanation or introduction to some of the books before you read it there is also a podcast named bible in a year by father mike schmitz that is based on jeff Cavins' work and it basically leads you through the bible in an entire year the catholic bible in an entire year it's very helpful what father mike does is he reads scripture for about 10 to 12 minutes, okay? And then he spends about five minutes, seven minutes explaining or giving some commentary. He reads more than he explains. And that's part of the beauty of it because he he gives some context into what's happening. Another helpful resource is Catholic Answers. This is not more for scripture. This is more for for understanding some of the teachings of the church. Catholic Answers is an apologetics organization that helps answer questions from atheists and from non-believers, and even some Catholics and Christians themselves to help them square and understand these things with the truth that is taught by the Catholic Church. It's a helpful reference, and I would very much encourage that you dig deeper into that. Last thing that I would like to say is the thing that I mentioned last episode, Didache, Companion, and Sabbath, resources from feast books that can help you develop your daily devotion. These are based on the mass readings of every day 
And it will not bring you through the entire scriptures, but it's it's good if you're trying to develop the habit, if you're trying to establish the routine of reading scripture. It's guided, there are reflections, there are teachings, and it's a very, very good resource. And I would encourage that you explore that. And so I hope this was helpful for you. At the end of it, my, my the last point that I'd like to make at the end of it, this is not just a reading exercise for the sake of learning something new or learning something cool. We're not just trying to know things. We are trying to know someone. We are trying to know Jesus. And so in your efforts of reading the scriptures, if that's something that you're going to start, if that's something that you're going to do, which I hope you are, my prayer is that in the process, you don't just learn more things. No, in the process, I hope, I pray, that you grow closer to Christ. May this be a helpful exercise for you. Thank you very much for listening all the way through, and I'll see you next week. Goodbye.